You know how when you're outside in a group, the mosquitoes tend to all target just one person. The same is true for authors. As you grow in prominence as an author, the more attractive you become to hackers. The bigger your platform, the more hackers will want to hack you and the act of publishing makes you an easier target to hack as you create dozens of new accounts in new places. Making things worse, everything you know about hacking and hackers is likely wrong. If you watch hackers on TV shows and movies, it is easy to think that hackers have magic keyboards and if they just press the keys with enough emotion, they can hack anything. And if that doesn't work, they just need someone in their earpiece telling them how urgent the situation is and then the hack goes through. That is completely false. That is not how hacking is done. Real life hacking is surprisingly low tech. It does not require technical sophistication. It often just requires some deception. In this episode, you are going to learn how hacking is actually done. And more importantly, you will learn some real simple steps that you can take to secure yourself and your platform from hackers. This episode will be helpful for all authors, Indian trad, fiction and nonfiction, published and unpublished. Everyone needs to learn about security. But if you are writing a thriller, please listen to this episode carefully so you can avoid the magic keyboard trope that looks so silly to anyone who knows anything about real life hacking. Author Media presents Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm the Vulcan of book marketing, Thomas Umstadt Jr., and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. So let's talk about the first thing a hacker will target if he is trying to hack you. Attack Vector 1. Your email. So why would hackers want your email? Well, it's because if they can get access to your email account, they can use it to reset your passwords everywhere else. This is why your email address is the first thing they will try to compromise. You can quickly lose control of your entire life if you lose access to your email. And with access to your inbox, the hacker could also use your email to send malicious links to your friends to get control over their email accounts as well. You may be a target just as a way to get at one of your friends. So how would a hacker get control of your email? Well, when there is a big hack of a big website like LinkedIn or Facebook or Adobe, one of the ways that the hacker shows off to his hacker buddies is to post all of the user accounts, the usernames and their corresponding passwords to the dark web. This means if you use the same handful of passwords, all a hacker has to do is download those lists and look up your password. No magic keyboard required. They don't even need a keyboard. It's just a matter of using the mouse to copy and paste your password into your email account. It really is that simple. So how do you keep your email secure? Well, you do the same thing with your digital keys that you do for your real world keys. Use a different key for each lock and use a different password for each website. I was recently notified by my bank that they had been hacked and they asked me to reset my password. Fortunately for me, I hadn't reused that password anywhere else. 
So once I reset that one password, the hackers had nothing and I was safe again. My password was not floating around the dark web for people to download, or rather there was a password floating around the dark web for hackers to download, but it was a key that didn't open up any locks anymore. So you're probably signed up for thousands of websites and you're about to sign up for dozens more as you build your platform and publish your book. And it's impossible to remember that many unique passwords. So what is the solution? There's actually a very easy solution and it is to use a password manager. This is a safe encrypted vault that stores your passwords so that you can have them when you need them. It inserts them automatically in your browser. It even inserts them automatically on your phone. In fact, it's really easy on your phone. I have an iPhone and it just looks at my face, unlocks the password vault and lets me in to wherever I need to get in. It's really easy. This way, the next time Facebook gets hacked, all the hacker gets is your password to Facebook rather than your password to everything. So there's two services I recommend for password vaults. They are LastPass and 1Password. And they both integrate with your computer's web browser and with your phone. They're both easy to use and reasonably priced. And both tools automatically remember your passwords and automatically insert them. The main difference is privacy. LastPass has tracking software on the phone that tracks what you're doing whereas 1Password has no tracking software. So 1Password is a little bit more private, but they're both very secure. So how do you keep your email secure? You use strong, unique passwords for your email. You use strong and unique passwords everywhere else. You keep track of those passwords using your password vault, like 1Password. And if you'd like, you can turn on two-factor authentication, which adds another speed bump to keep a hacker out. Now they don't just need your email password, but they would also need control over your phone to log in to your email. So now let's talk about the next place a hacker might attack you, which is attack vector two, your Amazon account. So why would hackers want access to your Amazon account? Well, if you're indie published, whoever controls your KDP account controls where your royalty payments go. So it's kind of like a bank account in that sense, because it's where the pipe of money is dumping the money. But they also get control of your book pages, how they look, and if you're traditionally published over your author central page. And that controls do follow links from amazon.com that they can point anywhere on the web. It's a valuable thing to hack. So how would a hacker get in? The same way they would try to get in to your email. They would download your passwords off of the dark web and try those passwords on your Amazon account to see if any of them work. So how do you keep them out? You use a strong, unique password for Amazon. You turn on two-factor authentication and you keep track of all of your passwords using a password manager. Perhaps you're noticing a theme here. <laughs> this really is very important to keep your passwords separate. Now let's talk about the next thing hackers would try to hack. Attack Vector3, your website. So why would a hacker want your website? Because with access and control of your website, they can use your website to install malware on people's computers. They also might use black hat search engine optimization techniques to transfer your SEO points to other websites. They may also redirect your visitors to other websites altogether. I know one author who was hosting his website on GoDaddy and it got hacked. The hack installed malware onto the site that redirected a third of visitors to pornographic websites that presumably had paid the hacker to buy traffic. Uh, 
A third were redirected to malware that tried to download a virus of some kind onto their computer. And a third saw the website normally, including anyone who was logged into the website. They saw the normal website. So the author saw his site normally, but his readers were complaining that they were being redirected to a porn site. And they were very confused and very angry in some cases. So eventually, Google put a block on his website so that anyone visiting his website on Chrome got a big red warning telling them not to go to his website. Because while Google doesn't mind traffic being redirected to an adult website, they do have very strict rules not to download viruses onto your visitors' computers. So he got banned from Google, and not just taken off of Google search, but people couldn't even visit his website. And even when he removed the malware, we had to go through additional steps to get him unbanned from Google. This is very bad, but very common. So how does a hacker hack a website? Well, assuming you're on a good web host, so not GoDaddy, the main way a hacker would target a website is through out-of-date plugins and templates. About a decade ago, there was a popular script called timthumb.php, and someone found a vulnerability with this script uh, so that they could hack any website that was using this script. Now, timthumb.php was a part of plugins, it was a part of themes, and millions of websites were suddenly vulnerable to be hacked. Now, the developer community quickly rallied and patched the security flaw within days, but many websites did not download those updated versions of the plugin. And for months and sometimes years later, hackers were still able to hack websites using this exploit. It was really tragic. So what do you do to keep this from happening to you? It's actually really simple. Just keep everything up to date. Every time you see a little red circle with a number in it that says an update is available, you have to realize that almost all updates are security updates. For every one update that gives you some cool new feature, there's probably 10 updates that are patching a security flaw. New security flaws are found all the time. They get patched very quickly, but the patch only protects you if you install it on your computer or on your website. So anytime you see an update notification, click yes, click now, don't put it off. If you're the kind of person who's like, do it tomorrow, do it tomorrow, you are just asking for trouble. Turn on auto updates where you can. This is a really nice feature now in WordPress. Plugins can update automatically. I think even themes can update automatically. WordPress can update automatically. Back when I was a kid, we had to do it by hand. <laughs> and by FTP, it was awful. Now it does it behind the scenes without you ever having to touch it. Not just on your website, but on your computer, on your phone. Anytime you see auto updates, turn it on. Auto updates are what keep the hackers out. The next way a hacker would try to hack your website is by what's called brute forcing the login. So this is when a hacker gets his computer or many computers to just try thousands of passwords a second on your login page. And what they do is they take those password dictionaries. So they go to the big LinkedIn hack. They go to the big Adobe hack. They download all the LinkedIn passwords, and then they just try those passwords. And so if you're using one of the most popular passwords, which if you came up with the password yourself, it's probably one of the most popular passwords because humans aren't very creative <laughs> when it comes to coming up with passwords, especially when you can try thousands of password combinations a second. Uh, you can get through a big dictionary pretty quickly with a password uh, brute force attack. 
And so don't use a common password. <laughs> if you're using one password or LastPass, it can auto generate passwords for you that are unique and random and cryptic. And those are what you want because the random trying, if, the, if it's unique, it won't be in the password dictionary. And God forbid you're reusing passwords from website to website because your password may be in the dictionary already. <laughs> if you have a LinkedIn account, your password's probably on the dark web. And there's a big hack every couple of weeks. Some website somewhere is getting hacked and a lot of those websites have your password. The other thing to do to protect yourself is to not have an account on your website with the username admin. Pretty much all of these brute force attempts are on the admin user. And so they're putting the username admin and then they're trying a bunch of passwords against that username. And so if you don't have a user with the username admin, which you don't need, right? Bluehost, if you're, which is the web host that I recommend, they don't even add a user named admin. They create a unique username for you that's not admin, that's your administrator user. So the username doesn't have to be admin for the user to have admin privileges. So then if you don't have an admin user, all of those passwords are going to return an error that's actually an error because the username is wrong. <laughs> so even if they do guess the right password, they're guessing the wrong username. So this is a, a really easy security feature. And if you're using a good host like Bluehost, you just need to check. But if your website's really old, or if you're on a different host, you want to double check to make sure you don't have a user on your website with the username admin. The third way a hacker will try to get into your website is through your email. In fact, I had a website client back when I ran a website agency for authors, and this client was a prominent pro-life author. She was on Fox News a lot. It was a common commentator. She had a famous book and she would get threats from pro-abortion folks from time to time. And one time she got a threat from a pro-abortion hacker who threatened to hack her website because he disagreed with her political beliefs. Now she contacted me, her webmaster, right away and we took steps to secure her website. But it turned out the hacker wasn't trying to hack her website directly. He was trying to hack into her email account. He saw her email as the way into her website. His plan was to get into her email account, use it to reset her login for her website, get control of her website, lock her out, and then do who knows what with the website once he got control of it. So we were able to keep him out, but it was a poignant reminder of how important it is to have a secure password for your email. <laughs> I hope you're noticing a trend. There's only a handful of tools that most hackers use most of the time. And Going after your email is one of the go-to ways because there's just so much bad things you can do when you get control of someone's email. So a couple of quick tips to keep your website secure. Don't host with GoDaddy. They just don't have good security. I don't like GoDaddy as a company. I don't like their prices. I don't like their service. I don't like almost anything about them, but their web hosting is way overpriced and the security is not good enough. Set your plugins to update automatically. Always update everything all the time. Have strong, unique passwords and keep backups. So when your website does get hacked, the way that you fix it and get the hacker out is by restoring a backup. And if you don't have a backup, you have to rebuild the whole website or you might have to rebuild the whole website, which is really bad. So 
Your web host might have backups and, and good backups that they keep for you automatically, but if not, Updraft Plus is a good tool for backing up your website. It will back up your website to your Dropbox account. So if you pay for Dropbox, this is a really solid solution because you have nice cloud backups that go back in time. So you can just go back in time and restore your website. Good backups don't just help keep you secure. They also protect you from yourself. <laughs> so most of the time in my years of working with author websites, backups were used not to keep hackers out, but to undo mistakes that authors had done. <laughs> so another backup solution is Jetpack. And I actually have an affiliate, just signed up for their affiliate program. This is a service made by WordPress.com uh, for WordPress.org websites. And it's got a built-in backup solution that provides the cloud hosting. So if you don't pay for Dropbox, Jetpack may be a little bit cheaper. And they have, I believe, one-click restoration. So you can just go back in time on your website with a single click. So it's really easy to use, and it's a, a very important tool for unhacking your website. So uh, backing up your computer, always important. Backing up your website, also important. Attack Vector 4, your computer. So why do hackers want your computer? And believe it or not, your computer is not as valuable as you might think, but there are some things that hackers can use your computer for. And one is to add your computer to a botnet. So a botnet is a network of remotely controlled computers that hackers will use to do nefarious things. And what's interesting about this is that being on a botnet doesn't necessarily hurt you, you're being used as a tool to hurt others. And I heard a statistic once that one out of five Windows computers were a part of some hacker's botnet, at least one, where their computer was being used for nefarious purposes. And the most common use of botnets or for all loading at the same website at the same time. And so it'll get thousands of loads on the login page all at once, and it is more than the website can handle, and it just crashes. It's a, kind of the equivalent of a whole bunch of people calling your phone number all at the same time where it just goes to a busy signal. Now, this is called a distributed denial of service attack. A more modern thing to do if you get control of somebody's computer is to use it for crypto mining. <laughs> so... Cryptocurrencies are mined by having computers do complex mathematical calculations. And it takes a long time to do these mathematical calculations and it uses electricity. So electricity is converted into Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever. And most crypto mining is done with a leftover green electricity. So a lot of crypto miners will set up near wind farms. And when there's a surplus of wind, too much wind, too much electricity, they'll take that and turn it into Bitcoin. But the other way to mine crypto, the less legitimate way, is to just steal someone else's electricity. <laughs> so once you get access to someone else's computer, you make their computer mine cryptocurrencies for you. And the bigger your botnet, the more different computers you can have mining cryptocurrencies for you. And this can be hard to detect, but if your computer is running slow and your fan is spinning a lot, you may be mining cryptocurrencies for someone else and your computer is using more electricity than it should. And then the third big attack, but one you probably don't have to worry about, is a ransom attack. So you hear about these in the news, and it's where a hacker gets control of the computer and locks the computer, and you have to pay a ransom to unlock the computer. Ransomware attacks aren't typically done on uh, regular people because you're not wealthy enough to be a target, <laughs> but 
they are done for organizations. So if you look wealthy, you attract attention and you might be the target of a ransom attack. And by the way, the easiest way to protect yourself from a ransom attack is to just have separate offsite backups. Because <laughs> if your computer is sufficiently backed up, you just restore from the backup and you can unlock it yourself. And so anytime you hear of a company getting locked out of their system, it's because they weren't backing up correctly. <laughs> uh, back up your computers, people. It's really important. <laughs> so anyway, how would a hacker get access to your computer? Well, this is what authors and screenwriters get wrong the most often because there's a principle in computer security that it is impossible to secure a computer from someone who has physical access to that computer. So one of the best protections against hackers is a locked door in the real world. <laughs> so a wooden door with a lock on it or a metal door with a lock on it or security with you know scanning badges uh, on the way into the server room. Big hacks typically have an inside man working with the hackers. Now, I bet you're thinking, oh, so they get somebody to get a job with the company. That's actually not how you get the inside man. Typically, you get the inside man or inside woman by tricking them, by lying to them. So hackers are liars. And the primary way they hack computers is by lying to humans who have access to those computers. This is what the movies get wrong. It's really hard to hack into a computer remotely without the help of someone with physical access to that computer. It can be done, especially if the person with the computer is not keeping their computer up to date. But assuming that you're keeping your computer up to date and you're staying off the dark web, it's really hard to hack your computer, believe it or not. But it's really easy to hack you. So let me talk about some ways that a hacker will try to hack you into giving information. This is a technique you may have heard of called phishing. And it's all about lying to someone over the phone or lying to someone over email. Remember, hackers are liars, not computer wizards. If they were really good at computers, they could probably make more money working for a computer company. Computer jobs pay really well. Often, hackers are not very tech savvy and instead they hack the people. So what's one way that they do this? Well, the one I've been seeing the most recently is malicious phone numbers. So a hacker would email you a receipt for a purchase that you didn't make. And it's a big enough purchase to scare you, right? So you get a receipt for $749 from some random Best Buy in New Jersey. In the receipt information is a phone number. It says, if you have any questions or concerns, call this phone number. Well, you don't recognize the charge. You want it reversed off your credit cards. You pick up your phone and you call that phone number. Well, now you're talking to someone who's pretending to be customer service, when in reality, they're a hacker who's going to try and hack your computer. So the first thing they'll do is ask you to verify your identity. So you give them all this identification information. You tell them the last four digits of your social security number. You tell them your email address. You give them your physical mailing address. And the more information you give them, the more access to your life they get. And then maybe they ask you to go to a certain website to verify something. So you go to a, a website that they tell you, and maybe that website has a payload of malicious software that you download. Or another version of this hack, the hackers pretend to be tech support. And they're like, oh, well, we need to install some software in your computer so that we can fix this problem that you supposedly have. So you install the software on your own computer. And now, once you install the hacker software on your computer, they have access to your computer. 
there are hackers who can hack somebody's computer from a prison telephone. A cell phone smuggled into a prison is all a hacker might need to hack someone. Because remember, it's not about hacking the computer. It's about lying to the person. There's a lot of tricks for getting you on the phone. So anytime you see like a virus warning, especially on a website, websites don't scan your website for viruses. Emails don't scan your computer for viruses. And what all of these techniques, because there's a lot of different techniques, but they all have one telltale sign. And that is they need to make you afraid. The more afraid you are, the easier you are to take advantage of, the more likely you are to believe the lies that the hacker is spewing. So they're going to get you afraid that you've done social security fraud or the FBI is coming for you or that your website's been hacked or that you have this big charge in your credit or something, right? The, the key is the fear. And so keep an eye on when you suddenly become very afraid, someone may be making you afraid for their own malicious purposes. Remember, Hackers are liars. Another form of this phishing attack is a malicious link where they email you pretending to be a coworker or a boss. You click on the link and you download a payload onto your computer. This is harder to do these days because email programs are getting better at scanning for these malicious links. And I think people are savvier about clicking links in emails, whereas they tend to be very trusting to someone on the phone. So how do you keep the hackers out of your computer? Well, one way is to switch to a Mac. Mac OS is based off of Unix, which is arguably the most secure operating system in the world. Additionally, since Macs are less common, there's fewer Macs in the world, fewer hackers target them. So if you own a Mac, you're both a smaller target and a harder target for hackers, which means they tend to pass you up for the next person. If you're the one bicycle on the rack that's got two locks, the thief is going to steal one of the bicycles with only one lock. Don't call phone numbers and emails. No stranger wants to talk to you on the phone so badly that they will email you a phone number. That is, unless they're trying to sell you something or steal something from you. Having customer service talk to people on the phone is incredibly expensive. So you have to ask who is paying for this customer service person to talk to me on the phone because it's really expensive. If you get an email from your credit card company, don't call the phone number in the email, pull out your credit card and call the phone number on the back of the card. If you look on the back of your credit card, there's a phone number and that phone number you can trust. In that same way, if you get an email from your bank, don't click the link. Instead, just open up your browser and go to www.yourbanksname.com. That way you know for sure you're going to the real website and not a website that looks like your bank, but secretly is not your bank <laughs> because if it's not the real website and you type in your username and password, they then have stolen your username and password, which, by the way, is actually one of the things that 1Password and I believe LastPass protect you from. It only lets you insert your username and password into the website that you originally created the account for. So if you create an account for mybank.com and instead it's mybank but with two Ks.com and you don't notice it, 1Password won't let you insert your password. It won't even show you the option because you're on a different website. And this is actually a security feature. Now you could dig through 1Password and find the password and copy and paste it, but don't do that because it's not the right website. You'd be giving away your password to the bad man. The next tip for staying secure here is to monitor your fear. Anytime you get scared, stop 
ask yourself, why am I scared? Who is making me scared? And why am I in a rush? The key tell of a criminal is that they want to get you into a panicked rush. If you get an email from the FBI saying that you're guilty of social security fraud, take a deep breath and ask yourself, why are you afraid? Remember, hackers are liars and they prey on your fears. Maybe they're not even emailing you. Maybe they're just calling you saying, this is the FBI and you've done social security fraud. If you call them back, you're talking to a hacker. <laughs> Once you calm down, you'll remember that governments don't communicate via email. They communicate through the postal service, especially for important legally sensitive matters. If someone tells you the police are coming to arrest you, if you don't send them a payment quickly, hang up the phone because no one ever gets that kind of call. Another tip to stay safe is to get a second opinion. Ask a tech savvy friend what they think of the message. If someone is rushing you into not getting a second opinion, hang up the phone. Tech people cost money, so you may have to pay for technical support, but a stitch in time saves nine, and paying for a little of IT support now can prevent you from paying a lot of IT support to solve a disaster later. And some people are like, oh, I don't pay for technical support. I just ask my technical children for help for free. That's a really bad attitude, right? <laughs> it's like, I don't pay for medical advice. I only, you know, get free medical advice from my friends on social media. Or, I don't pay for real law advice or I don't pay for real plumbers. Like technical skills are worth paying for. <laughs> the worker is worthy of his hire. And sometimes it's better to have the electrician do the wiring than it is to have you do the wiring yourself. And the same is true with IT support. So have some IT person in your life that you have a financial relationship with, that you pay in more than just cookies, who you can call if you need help. But if you're really tight on cash, you can always go to authormedia.social if you're scared about an email that you got and you can ask the community there. So we have a community of humans on authormedia.social and we can give you second opinions. In fact, some people have already been doing this and have been prevented from hackers who are trying to scam them. The next step, of course, is to keep your computer backed up. Solid offsite backups uh, will prevent most bad things from happening, or, or at least allow you to undo them very quickly. All you have to do is restore the system to a state before it was locked by the hackers, install your updates, you're good to go. Another tip is to pay for your software. If it's free, you're not the customer, you are the product being sold to someone else. So be very suspicious of free software. The only free software that I trust is freemium software, where there's a free version that's trying to convert you to being a paid customer to buy the pro version or the premium version. In this case, you are the customer. You're just the customer getting a free sample on the front end. But if a piece of software is completely free, you need to ask the question, who is paying for the software to be made and delivered to me? And how are they benefiting? The next tip is to stay out of the dark web. If you live in a city, you probably know what part of your city is high in crime and by going there, you are more at risk. Well, the same is true in the online world. The shady part of the internet where you are at more at risk is called the dark web. This is where pirates hang out selling or giving away for free. And remember, be suspicious of free pirated content. Often that pirated movie that you downloaded secretly has bad software that is turning your computer into a botnet. The same with pornographic websites. A lot of them are doing very shady things while they're doing 
shady things. If you are in a place online where you have the chance to do something shady to someone else or even another company, you are also putting yourself in a place where someone can do something shady to you. So stay out of the dark web. Most hacks that happen on computers start or are triggered because someone is on some kind of website that is sketchy. <laughs> it's a suspicious website, often because they're trying to do something that's suspicious themselves. So here's a couple of red flags to help you from getting hacked by someone lying to you. Remember, hackers are liars, not technical experts. The U.S. government doesn't take Western Union payments. <laughs> In fact, I don't know if any government takes Western Union payments. Democratic governments don't employ call centers overseas. And the rationale for this is very simple. Tax dollars are used to create jobs for voters who then vote in the politicians who gave them the jobs. This is why Democratic governments get bigger every year. And it's also why if you hear an accent on the phone from someone claiming to be with the government, they are lying. <laughs> government jobs go to people from your country. So if you're Canadian and you hear somebody who doesn't have a Canadian accent and they're claiming to be with the Canadian government, hang up the phone. <laughs> they're not real. And this is true with pretty much all democratic governments. And politicians aren't going to waste the chance to buy votes to save money going offshore. That's just not how politicians think. So sure, they could hire an Indian call center for a fraction of the cost of having a call center in the United States, but they just wouldn't do it. And so be very suspicious of a foreign sounding accent. There are hackers in countries who make their money calling Americans and lying to them on the phone and then using that to hack their computers or their bank accounts or whatever. Antivirus companies don't email you to tell you you have a virus. Websites don't scan your computer for viruses. Anytime you see an antivirus pop up on a website, close your browser. <laughs> Especially if you're in a shady part of the internet and you see an antivirus pop up, close your browser because you're about to get a phone call or encouraged to call someone who's then going to try to hack you. All right, now it's time for the final attack vector. Attack vector five, your identity. So why would a hacker want your identity? Well, the main reason hackers would want your identity is to sign up for credit or a credit card in your name where they get the credit card and you get the bill. So they then use the credit card to buy all the things they want to buy. And you often don't find out about it until you get a call from collections saying, why haven't you paid your $25,000 credit card fee? People who are following Dave Ramsey's get out of debt approach are often particularly vulnerable to this kind of attack because while they're getting out of debt, their credit gets better and better, right? You're paying off your debts, you're working the baby steps and you become a more and more attractive target for identity thieves. So how do they steal your identity? Well, remember those breaches I was talking about? Well, guess what? Websites like LinkedIn are not the only kind of websites that get hacked. Companies like Experian and TransUnion and the other credit monitoring companies get hacked all the time. And then the information that they have, which is things like your social security number and everything needed to sign up for credit under your name, are then just sold <laughs> in auction on the dark web. So to steal your identity, all a hacker needs to do is pay money to a dark web broker to buy your identity. They don't need any technical skills, really. It, they just need to know how to get access to the dark web. It, it's shockingly easy and very sad. 
and it's really unfortunate that you have very little recourse, right? Because you don't may not even know who Experian is, and yet they have your social security number on file. And your recourse against Experian for giving your information to hackers is really limited. It's a, kind of a flaw in our system. So we live in a society now that's really big where you don't have a personal relationship with really anyone you do business with, right? You buy your books from someone you've never met before. It's not the small towns that we had hundreds of years ago where everyone knew each other. Now identity is all data stored in computers and that data is not kept very secure and you can't secure it because they don't steal your identity from your website or from your computer. They steal your security from somebody else's. So how do you keep your identity safe when your identity is for sale on the dark web? Well, one way is to just have bad credit, right? Some identities are more valuable than others. If your last name is Rockefeller or Bezos, more hackers will want to steal your identity. If you have bad or no credit, then you're less of a target. As King Solomon once said, the rich can pay a ransom for their lives, but the poor won't even be threatened. But that's not a great solution, right? If you have good credit, you don't want to then get bad credit to make you less of a target for identity thieves. So what do you do if you have good credit? Well, one thing is to sign up for identity monitoring. In many of these big services that get hacked, like Experian, like TransUnion, will offer free identity monitoring for a period of years after their big hack. They should offer it indefinitely, in my opinion, because it, your social security number doesn't stop being available <laughs> on the dark web just because they got hacked, but something is better than nothing. So sign up for identity monitoring. This will allow you to get a notification if someone is checking your credit. And if a hacker is in the process of stealing your identity, they will trigger credit checks as they attempt to sign up for credit in your name. So this will give you a chance to take action. But the even better solution is to do what's called locking or freezing your credit. This is where you put a lock at the various credit monitoring agencies saying no one is allowed to sign up for anything with my credit, including me, right? Your credit is completely locked. And if you are using Dave Ramsey's method to get out of debt, where you're getting rid of your credit cards and you're working the baby steps, do this, lock your credit. It makes it harder for you to get a credit card because before you can sign up for a new credit card yourself, you have to first unlock your credit. So it creates a big hassle, which reduces your temptation to sign up for a new credit card. And it also makes it very hard for someone to steal your identity. So credit freezing, credit locking is kind of the gold standard. And the reason why you don't hear this recommended is because the credit card companies and the media companies that they sponsor, right? credit companies buy lots of ads on media. They don't want you to lock your credit because they want to sell you credit. They want to sell you credit card. But I'm not trying to sell you a credit card, so I'm telling you, sign up for credit freezing, credit locking as a good way to help protect your identity. So those are the five attack vectors that a hacker might attack. And you'll notice that most of the attacks are more about lying to the human than they are trying to use some technical exploit. There are some technical exploits, especially for hacking into websites, that tends to be more technical. But most people, when they're hacked, it was actually them that gave access to the hacker. They just didn't realize it. So bottom line, use unique, strong passwords for each website. Use a password manager to keep track of all those passwords. We have one password to rule them all that unlocks your vault of passwords. And I didn't mention this, but this is also a good thing. If you were to pass away, which you are going to do, you're going to die. And 
your KDP account and all your other accounts are all secured, right? With passwords. And your spouse is not a hacker, doesn't know how to buy your password off the dark web. And so they may be locked out of everything that you're doing. But if you had a password manager, you could put your one password to rule them all in a safe deposit box or locked securely in your house somewhere. And it's in your will that's kept with the lawyer. And then suddenly they get a key that opens up a vault that has all your other keys in it. And it's a really valuable thing to give your widow or your widower who's wanting to keep your books going and not have them get frozen behind passwords that they don't know. So a password manager is helpful in a lot of ways and for a lot of reasons. And it's worth spending a little bit of money for. Install updates immediately. Never click snooze on an update ever again if you want to stay secure. It's a very minor issue to click update now, and it goes a really long way into keeping you secure. And then finally, don't make decisions while afraid. I feel like this applies to a lot of life, but typically the people who are trying to scare you are the people who are trying to take advantage of you. And it is really hard to make good decisions while afraid. As my dad often reminds me, never make a financial decision out of greed or fear. Those are not good motivations. And this is really true with hacking. If you just don't make decisions out of fear on your computer, you become a lot harder to hack. Our sponsor today is my course on building websites. If you're wanting help building your website, we talked about a lot of technical things. In this episode, I have a course that makes building your own WordPress website super easy. I walk you through all of the steps to do it. In fact, I build a website in the course and you get to watch me. It's actually not very hard. And we've had over a thousand authors go through this course and many of them have used it to build websites, even though they never thought they could. They, they thought it was impenetrable, but they go through the course and they realize it's actually a lot easier than you think. The course is free. I have affiliate links in the course to the hosts that I recommend and the templates that I recommend. You don't have to use those affiliate links, but if you do, it helps support the course. So that's why it's free. I told you to be suspicious of things that are free. You need to know where the money is coming from. And that's where the money is coming from. Also, I created the course because I used to run a web agency building websites for authors, and I still get referrals all the time from people who are coming to me wanting to build their website. And I'm like, I don't do that anymore, but here's a course that you can take. So it gave me a a way of saying no nicely. <laughs> so that's the other reason why I made it and why I made it free. Now, there's a second part of the course on how to take your existing website and make it more useful for readers, more popular with readers. And you can find that at authormedia.com slash courses. Uh, I'd like to thank our new patrons. So in the month of November, we had several new patrons who are supporting the show financially. So if you find these free episodes valuable. If this saved you from a disaster, going on Patreon is a way to say thank you. And I would like to thank our new patrons who help keep the show going. So this is how I support my family. And our new patrons are Jimmy Kepler, Keith Finney, Jason Porterfield, Dave Cohen, Greta Picklemeiser, and Sharon Carpenter. So thank you so much for supporting the Novel Marketing Podcast. And one of the ways that I say thank you to you for supporting the podcast is I give patrons an exclusive episode every month. In fact, you're still going to get an exclusive episode this month, even though Baby 3 is on the way. <laughs> so as I record this episode, uh, Baby 3 is still unborn. 
And I would say the baby is chilling out, but according to my wife, the baby is training for a marathon and using her bladder as a treadmill. <laughs> so we will have uh, reruns for the next few weeks as I help uh, the kids uh, while Margaret recovers from delivering a new baby. And come this Christmas, God willing, we will have a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and a newborn. So pray for me as I chase the toddlers. And if you want to support the podcast, but you can't afford to, one really easy way to do it is to just share this episode with a writer friend. In fact, this episode particularly, the more you share it, the more you're protected. Because as authors get a reputation for being hard to hack, we become a less attractive target for hackers who will look elsewhere. So there is some herd protection here where if we all follow best practices, we're all more secure because of it. Or you see a friend who emails you and it doesn't look like it's them, maybe email them back a link to this episode, which will help them have better security. And the Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio is edited by William Umstadt. The blog post is by Shauna Lettler. The producer is Lori Christine, and I am Thomas Umstead Jr., your host. To find the blog post version of this episode, including all the links to everything I talked about, visit authormedia.com slash 308. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.